ERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people on the web at maincf.org. A voice of many voices, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and on the web at weru.org, grassroots community radio. It's 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at weru.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns began in 1993 with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And this morning, we're going to talk about the land trust movement in Maine, which got its start more than a century ago in the creation of the Hancock County Trustees for Public Reservations. I'm still based in Ellsworth and responsible for the Black House um, and uh, so on. But um, that group early on assembled lands that became Acadia National Park. And today's land trusts reflect that strong conservation tradition, but increasingly they're working to support broader community goals, and we're glad to have some folks in the studio who can help us understand that um, transition, that uh, trend. Um, welcome back to WERU, Sherry, Sherry Domina. Thank um, you. You were, wh- what position did you hold here for 10 years or so? For- I was underwriting manager, and <clears throat> no, I wasn't here for 10 no, years. I was here for about a year and a half. 10 years ago, you yes. were here. Right? <laughs> 10 years ago. And you um, left to become the executive director of the Great Pond Mountain Conservation Trust. That's right, in 2006. Great. Well, welcome back, and we'll hear from you in a minute. You've uh, brought with you uh, Jennifer Riefler, who is a volunteer with the organization. Welcome to you, Jennifer. Thank you. And um, you've also invited Chrissy Allen, um, a colleague at Blue Hill Heritage Trust. Welcome to you, Chrissy. Thank you. Glad to be here. Could each of you provide a little thumbnail sketch of how you got started in this work? I'm starting um, with you, Sherry. Um, What led you to become involved in in land conservation? Well, um, I have a background in wildlife biology and public outreach. And uh, when I moved to the area in 1992, I kind of immediately got involved in this sort of fledgling land trust movement in Orland. Um, And uh, I became one of the original board members, founding Mm. board members of Great Pond Mountain Conservation Trust in 1993, it was, Um, and kind of hung with them for a long time. And it was sort of an on-the-job training. I was was a public outreach person at uh, Craigbrook Fish Hatchery uh, for a number of years, Um, but I was volunteering with the land trust and... um, really learning a lot about and going to workshops, getting involved with the, uh, you know, mainland trust network. And um, so, as I said, it was kind of an on-the-job training. And uh, when the the executive director position came open in 2006, it it just felt really natural to step into it. I was I was really excited to be able to 
to serve the community that way and, and work for the land trust. And as in, in wildlife, um, was there some incident or um, series of, of experiences in your youth that led you to that profession? Oh, sure. I, you know, uh, I think many of us working in the land trust world and many of the listeners, you know, have the experience of just having spent a lot of time outside as a kid and really uh, connecting with the natural world and feeling like that, you know, that was a huge important part of my life. And uh, so, you know, one of the big reasons for moving here was just, it's just a beautiful place. I loved it. And I'd come from an area that, you know, had been overdeveloped and I, I knew what what we could possibly be missing. Mm-hmm. Jennifer, how about you? You've, you've got a field of education in your background, but what led you to volunteer with um, Great Pond Mountain Conservation Trust? Well, my original background was a childhood in the woods, uh-huh. and also um, my educational background was more along the lines of botany and forestry, and I had worked for the U.S. Forest Service and Nature Conservancy and this and that out west. When we moved to Maine, I Um, got into education, but I never lost my desire to help out with conservation. And so um, I actually joined Great Pond Mountain Conservation Trust probably 20 years ago. And when they bought that land in 2005, that was it for me. I jumped in feet first because I could see this is an opportunity from the ground level to figure out how to manage 4,300 acres. And it's been tremendously fun. So in the meantime, over at my money-making job, I teach chem- I have been teaching chemistry and environmental science at Mount Desert Island High School. I just retired. And I decided to start an outdoor science class um, that allowed me to develop community partners in the area with Acadia National Park and Maine Coast Heritage Trust. And that turned out to be very, very productive. Mm. So we'll talk more about some of your work in that same arena um, yes. in a few minutes. And Chrissy Allen with Blue Hill Heritage Trust, how did you get your start? So I come from a long line of Blue Hill Peninsula natives, and my background is in event planning, hospitality, and education, working with young people. So when the new position for outreach coordinator came up at the Trust, it seemed like a really perfect fit for me. I had a really fortunate childhood. My family owned a camp on Toddy Pond and a camp on Union River Bay. I spent much of my youth on King Hill Farm with my mother and my stepfather. So I didn't grow up realizing that not everybody had access to fresh and salt water, to their own food, to endless forests to go play in and explore. And as I've gotten older, gone away, lived in the Midwest with my husband for a few years and come back, much like Sherry, I had this realization that not everybody has this. Mm. What we have is really special and really worth protecting. So I feel really passionate about what we're doing and really fortunate to be a part of it. Mm. How did how did you, each of your land trusts start? Um, uh, Sherry, tell us the origin story, if you will, of, of Great Pond Mountain Conservation Trust. Well, as I mentioned, when I, I moved here in 1992, I met uh, Stuart Gross um, pretty early on, and he was this man on a mission. Um, <laughs> he loved climbing Great Pond Mountain. He did it probably every day of the season, um, and he really wanted to see all this beautiful, wild, undeveloped land around Great Pond Mountain um, conserved. And, and, and locate that for our listeners, because not everyone knows. Well, they should know, but not yeah. everyone knows. Well, Great Pond Mountain is in Orland, um, and uh, you kind of get there by driving through the fish hatchery, um, you know, off Hatchery Road, uh, which is off Route 1. Uh, so it's a, it's a very nice climb, very popular climb in the area, much like Blue Hill Mountain. Um, 
So there, in the 1980s, before I moved here, there had been some rather shocking development proposals in the area. Somebody wanted to put this, I think it was 500 lot subdivision. I actually have the blueprint as kind mm. of a souvenir. Um, but uh, luckily, none of those things panned out, but people were kind of concerned. So a bunch of us started meeting at Stewart's Camp on Hancock Pond, and um, the land trust became a nonprofit in 1993. Um, we had a proposal in the very first round of the Land for Maine's Future program um, in, I think it was 95. Uh, we were looking to purchase uh, this property called the Diamond Match property, um, which is off Route 1 in, in East Orland between you know Bucksport and Ellsworth. Was, at the time, it was 2,500 acres that was up for sale. Um, we did not get a grant to purchase it. It was purchased by a logging company, um, and it was cut over. Uh, but we worked for about 10 years. We didn't give up, and we finally got that LMF grant in 2005 and were able to buy, at which, meanwhile, the landowner built this sort of kingdom up to about 4,300 acres. So 10 years later, we were able to buy 4,300 acres um, with a lot of help uh, and, an, and an LMF grant. And that became our keystone project, not our only project, but really our keystone project, which is now called the Great Pond Mountain Wildlands. Mm. And how about um, Blue Hill um, Heritage Trust? We should shout out to Jim Dow, who is the executive director, but I understand retiring. He is. He is. He is. Uh, he's counting down, but still working <laughs> very hard on some really exciting projects that we have coming up. Uh, the trust is 31 years old this year, and we were founded in 1985 by a really interesting group of local people. It, it really struck me when I came on board with the trust looking at the names on the original organization, the people who spearheaded it. It wasn't just a lot of people from away. It was a lot of local people with deep mm. roots in the community and you know ancestral roots. So that was really fascinating. They, they were really looking for a way to counter what they saw as increasing development pressures on the peninsula, specifically uh, the John Peters estate was being threatened to turn into a major condominium area. And so they they pooled their resources and were assisted greatly by Maine Coast Heritage Trust and um, formed this great local land trust. Uh, Gene Nickerson was the first president. And recently, in the last couple of years, we merged with TCT, which was the conservation trust in Castine, Brooksville, and Penobscot, which is one of the oldest land trusts, local land trusts in the state. And you know, they were a volunteer corps, and as their portfolio grew, it became harder and harder for them to manage uh, their load. So a merger with us was a really natural thing, and it helped us to gain some really exciting new properties in the town of Castine and Brooksville and Penobscot, where we already did have a few properties. But Castine, we didn't have any, and so that's been a really exciting addition to our portfolio, and now we cover all seven towns of the Blue Hill Peninsula. Mm. And again, um, the peninsula is, is known because it's the home of Blue Hill and Blue Hill Mountain, Yes, and you have a role there. We do. We, um, we own much of Blue Hill Mountain, and that is increasing every year, which is really exciting. And we have several trails going up all different sides. You know, when I was a kid, there was the one trail mm -hmm. going up through the Osgood property primarily. And now, you know, we have the Hayes Trail and we have the Beckton Trail going off the Turkey Farm Road, which is a long trail with views out to Great Pond Mountain and Toddy Pond, which is great. And hopefully we'll be getting some new trails off of Route 15 in the next couple of years as well. So that's, that's sort of the big iconic place. But 
we have closing in on 30 trails mm. around the peninsula, and they're all really unique and really special. That was probably the way in which land trusts began to serve their human communities, um, in addition to having views and to realize that land and wildlife were being protected, was through some kind of trail system. And that's certainly true with Great Pond Mountain Conservation Trust. Yeah, definitely. Um, when we purchased this property, it had about 15 miles of logging roads on it. And, um, you know, we've we've kept those and, and built also a network of smaller footpaths. And, you know, the community was really excited to be able to use the property for um, horseback riding and snowmobiling and, um, you know, uh, skiing and uh, other things that people use trails for mm -hmm. um, because they're sort of like the carriage roads in Acadia National Park. They they really lend themselves to multiple uses. And I think the other trend that was happening um, um, in, in certainly my lifetime was that um, people um, who perhaps were from away were buying land and posting it. So um, it wasn't possible to use that old main tradition to be walking in the woods um, and, and being respectful, but um, land was posted. So land trusts were able to fill a gap that um, was being closed. But both of you have mentioned the origins of, of your trust being um, made up a lot of local people. Talk a little bit about the flavor of your land trust as it relates to who created it. Sherry? Well, uh, so Stuart Gross was somebody with really deep ancestral roots in the region. Uh, so the Grosses were founders of Orland, basically, and he was descended from that family. Um, and he so he spent part of his time working in Orno and then part in his summers at his camp on Hancock Pond. But really, it was a bunch of mostly local people that were the first board members and really started the the trust. It's since evolved to um, we always have a few summer folks on our board. Um, they tend to be really supportive. Um, and uh, every time we go to analyze our membership, we have about 400 members. Um, it seems to be about half and half um, people from uh, away and uh, people from right around here. Mm. And the other th uh, common theme is that um, it may have started with a threat <laughs> to a particular piece of land, but then quickly developed, it seemed to me, into what were the opportunities to expand um, the, you know, the, the, the trail system or the wildlife habitat and that sort of thing. Is that true for you, Chrissy? You yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we try to look at things in as positive a light as we can and see how can we be serving both the natural and human you know, communities mm. in our area with these conservation easements or fee properties when we purchase them. So mm. that very much plays a role in it. Yeah. Um, uh, Sherry, I understand that you've recently kind of had some community conversations that may have led to a, a, a new strategic plan or at least in the process. What were some of those conversations like? Who were you talking with and, and what were you learning? Yeah, so we um, we just finished a strategic plan for, I think it's 2016 to 2019, roughly. Um, we did about 50 community interviews with individuals and uh, business owners and uh, groups, clubs. Um, and we learned some really interesting things. We actually started the interviews um, at the very end of 2014, and during the, the process was the time that the paper mill closed in Bucksport. So the flavor really changed <laughs> of those mm. interviews. Mm. Um this is the backdrop in, in our coverage area, we cover Bucksport, Orland, Verona Island, and Dedham, so the northwest corner of Hancock County. Um, and, and the background has been that, you know, there's a lot of turmoil right now. There's a lot of uncertainty, not only because of the economy and what's going to happen with the mill site, um, but 
the ownership of the dam and the islands on Silver Lake, which is Bucksport water, Bucksport's water supply, and also the dams on Alamosic and Toddy Pond, that ownership is sort of in flux right now. Um, so people, you know, on, on Alamosic and on Toddy Pond um, are a little bit up in arms and, and on Silver Lake. Um, but with that backdrop, we heard some general themes. Um, and one was that people really love the area the way it is. They want to see the wild places. They want to see the farms and the fields and the forests. But they want to see better use of developed areas. They really want to see that downtown revitalization, especially in Bucksport and Orland. Um, and uh, so one of the things we heard was that people want the arts to play a big role in that. So we kind of took that to heart. Um, Seniors are a major part of the population. It's a growing part of the population. So we heard a lot about, all right, how can we better serve seniors? Um, kids uh, needing to get outside more and, and people wanting to see us involved in the local schools. Um, another thing we heard was more in-town walking trails. People don't necessarily want to drive out to the wildlands if they just want to go for a walk after work or they've got a few minutes, they want to be able to go out their back door and walk along Silver Lake or walk um, in downtown Orland or walk in Dedham. Um, and then the, one of the interesting things I thought was that people really need more social opportunities. And, you know, it's not the land trust job to go out there and build a coffee shop, but we can bring people to us and we can give them opportunities to get together. And um, so one of the things, you know, we did was have this uh, end of the summer sing-along with WERU, which turned right. out to be really fun. Uh, we had like 40 people and it was just a great time and it was a, a nice social opportunity in nature. Great. Well, I want to remind listeners to tune to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking with Sherry Domina and Jennifer Riefler of Great Pond Mountain Conservation Trust and Chrissy Allen of Blue Hill Heritage Trust. And in a little while, we'll open up our phone lines. But uh, I want to continue with that. Um, one of the things that you learned is, is that education um, uh, was important. Jennifer, how did you kind of um, hear that, that, um, that information, and, and what do you want to do with that information? So last spring, the Land Trust invited um, Bucksport RSU 25 teachers out to the Land Trust, and a whole a number of teachers came and expressed great enthusiasm in being involved in more outdoor education. So um, there were a couple of specific groups of teachers we're kind of targeting working with. One are the fourth grade teachers um, who are interested in vernal pools. Um, and there's a high school teacher interested in an orienteering course. So we just formed up an educational committee and it has, um, speaking of retired or seniors, it has a number of recently retired teachers. Um, and so I decided to take on the um, Vernal Pool project with the fourth grade teachers. But um, from my experience at Mount Desert Island High School, there are a few things that work for teachers. Time is the most scarce resource that teachers have. They just do not have much time in, um, to develop curriculum and they don't have much time to teach it. So really what's best for teachers is to have outdoor education right out their back door. And for me, at Mount Desert Island High School, I was lucky because Maine Coast Heritage Trust had just bought the Kitteridge Brook parcel, and Acadia National Park was out back, and we were able to work together to create a trail network. Um, and the second thing that's really important is that the community partners reach out to the teachers instead of the other way around. So again, I was lucky because I started this class, I set up a website, and within two months, Lynn Dominey from Acadia National Park and Billy Halpern from Maine Coast Harris Trust contacted me and said, how can we help 
and helped arrange meetings. Mm -hmm. And so that piece is really key. The land trusts need to reach out to the teachers. Mm -hmm. um, so um, over here at Bucksport, it's been great fun. Um, because now met. you're on the other other shoe. Uh, the shoe is on the other foot, so to speak. <laughs> yeah, now I switched from being the educator to being the land trust volunteer. Right. And so uh, the Bucksport schools are surrounded by a town forest mm. that already has a gravel walking trail through it. And so they have the opportunity to walk out their back door anytime, any of the grades, and access their forest. What the fourth grade teachers wanted help with was they had this rental pool 10 minutes from the elementary school, and they wanted help developing a trail and some infrastructure and some curriculum. Well, that's just what we can do. So Ruth Gomes and I are working on, with some ninth grade volunteers uh, who need community service, there's another connection, mm -hmm. um, developing a trail. The shop is going to build us a boardwalk and platform, the high school shop teacher, Mike Gross. Um, and within a year, I'm hoping that we have the infrastructure in place. And meanwhile, we've got Ruth and other people working on developing a vernal pool kits, lessons, so that the fourth grade teachers can be independent using this pool for their education. Mm. And um, that's your future. Fourth graders eventually become adults. And right. they will become right. your supporters and, and your, your champions uh, for the work that you're doing. Chrissy, what, uh, what rings true from what you've just heard in, in your experience with Blue Hill Heritage Trust? Yeah, so Jennifer's absolutely right. Teachers have a really hard time squeezing anything new into their curriculum, especially these days. So I've found that if I go to a school, I have 10 schools that I service on the Blue Hill Peninsula, so I'm spread pretty thin there. Um, but when I go to the schools, I need to go being able to do a little legwork for them. So I can say to a teacher, if you're interested in working with Blue Hill Heritage Trust, either in the woods around your school or out on one of our properties, just tell me and give me an idea of what you're studying, and I can come back to you with some ideas for mm. what we can do out there. And I found that provides the greatest success because they really, they don't have the time to think about this stuff, but they really want to do it and they want to take advantage of what we have to offer. You know, we're offering a free resource to enrich the education in our schools at no charge, you know, to the taxpayers, nothing like that. I mean, this is really, really beneficial for everybody. And so it is, the onus is on us to do a little legwork there. Mm. And I've found that a lot of times they're really happy to leave the school when they can because it seems more exciting to the kids. And it takes them to places that even though they're in their own town, these trails, they may have never been there before with their families. And it's a great introduction to the kids, to the woods, how to behave in the woods, which a lot of kids these days don't know. And it's really nice. But for those schools that don't have that money for a bus, whatever, we always have the opportunity to just go and be outside right. at their own school, which is always just tons of fun. Sure. That's a whole another program. I'm just writing a note to myself <laughs> to do more on, on kids outdoors. And that's, that's right. We've, we've dealt with that topic in the past. And and this, um, can you think of any kids and, and, and what their reaction to, to being outside and, and learning with you and, and um, your colleagues? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we've we've been really fortunate to be able to work with several of the schools on the peninsula. And 
when I took a group of eighth graders, we did a series of hikes in May uh, with the same eighth grade class where they broke up into four different groups. Every Wednesday went on a hike. So we essentially had 16 different hikes in the month of May on different properties. And that was when horseshoe crabs were spawning. And I took some of these eighth grade girls in their very nice clothes, definitely not suitable for hiking, down Snow's Cove. And they were picking up these horseshoe crabs and checking them out, these crazy prehistoric creatures that we have coming up the Bagadoos every year. They were so delighted. Just I got some great pictures, the looks on their faces. It was really fun. And you could tell they were really out of their element, but there was something that really sparked in them that they realized these things are here. They, you know, they had no idea. And that was so cool. Mm. Well, let's go now to another land trust and um, really one of the uh, grandfathers or grandmothers of the land trust movement in Maine, and that's Maine Coast Heritage Trust. And uh, we're joined by phone by Jacob Vandesandy of uh, Maine Coast Heritage Trust, and you're down in the East Machias area. Welcome to Talk of the Towns. Thanks. Good morning. Tell us a little bit about, uh, most listeners will be familiar with um, Maine Coast Heritage Trust, but tell us a little bit about uh, the mission, and then we'll come to some of the work that you're doing in the Down East region. Okay. So Maine Coast Coast Heritage Trust was founded in 1970, focused in Mount Desert Island, but we are a statewide land conservation organization. Um, We have, with a real coastal focus initially, and we've conserved over 300 islands statewide, and working with a broad group of partners, including a number of your guests, have conserved over 140,000 acres statewide. And we also have, as mentioned, the Maine Land Trust Network Program, which is an important part of focus of our work, where we support land trusts statewide with training and conferences and all different things. How did you get your start in all of this, um, your education? And then I think you worked for uh, Downey Salmon Federation? I did. So, like your other guests, I I grew up in the woods, and I, I really I spent a lot of time in the water, particularly. I've always been a water person. And I worked commercial fishing in Alaska and other places, and I went into fisheries. I graduated from College of the Atlantic, and I moved to Washington County and have worked for the past 20 years in diadromous fish conservation. I worked with Sherry Domina in the past when she was at Craig Brook. And so I did that with the Salmon Federation, ran hatcheries and outreach education programs for for almost 14 years, and uh, working for Maine Coast was, as other people suggested, it was a natural progression of my of my work, and the the timing was good in terms of some shifts in in the way Maine Coast Heritage Trust does their work as well. And so ta- I've been here for two and a half years. And and talk about that shift. Um, um, uh, your organization went through a strategic planning process as well, and came up with some new priorities by listening to people on the land and in the communities. Um, what were some of those shifts? So, yeah, 2013, we did a strategic plan before my time, and I think it was recognized a couple of things, and I think the focus of this discussion is around shifting from somewhat more traditional land conservation focused very much on sort of ecological and scenic to being to incorporating more of the community and community well-being as being a core piece of the work we do. I mean, it's always been a core piece of what Maine Coast Heritage Trust has done, but I think we were sort of reinvigorated on that focus you know, combining these long-held values of scenic and ecological conservation along with public health, youth engagement, recreation, and then economic vitality, growth, that sort of thing. And in the process, we were looking looking at our work more broadly and realized 
that the vitality of our coastal communities is very much dependent both ecologically and culturally on our rivers. So these towns all built up around these rivers. These were these rivers were a valuable resource for the community, and we and they have been degraded somewhat. Certainly here in coastal Maine, our rivers are in much better shape than anywhere else on the eastern seaboard. We have a unique opportunity there. But there has been degradation, and there is room for improvement. So we started a rivers initiative. So we looked at, started with something like 30 rivers across the state, smaller coastal rivers. We're not doing the Penobscot, Kennebec, Androscoggin. That would be a lot of, there's other people working on that work. So we focused in, in the end, we're working on two rivers right now. We're focused on the Orange River in Whiting, which flows into Cobbs Cook Bay, and the Narraguegas River in Cherryfield, which flows into Nar- Narraguegas Bay. And what, um, what, what does that look like, um, kind of on the ground? What's your day-to-day work in terms of rivers? So just, just sort of an overview. We picked those rivers for a number of reasons. As I mentioned, unique opportunities here in eastern Maine for relatively wild rivers. Both of these rivers have impediments to fish passage close to the head of tide. The Orange River in Whiting has three dams that completely block fish passage. And the Narraguegas River has a dam close to the head of tide, which has fish passage, but it underperforms. And so the, popu- the, the diadromous fish populations are certainly impaired by that. So we are working in different ways. So certainly we're a land conservation organization, so we're looking at prioritizing acquisitions within those watersheds to protect the water quality and also recreational access, engage the community around those watersheds. Um, we're also working with a large group of partners around fish passage. It's not our specialty, but we, we do bring skills to the table and hopefully funding to the table. So we are currently engaged in looking at a fish passage feasibility study on the Orange River and working with the community, with the town of Cherryfield, or a bunch of partners and the Army Corps of Engineers to do a feasibility study at the dam in Cherryfield. And and you're also part of something called the Downey Fisheries Partnership, which has a, a mission or a vision, if you will, of, of uh, allowing people to fish forever, both recreational fishing and uh, commercial fishing. Um, and that is really a part of the economy of Downey's Maine. Certainly. So when we look at the ecological connection to the economy, fisheries in Washington County is really is a big piece of that. And so we see an opportunity to to conserve and restore these watersheds to support the historic fisheries that are here. For example, on the Narraguegas, there is currently a run of elwives that's harvested by commercial fishermen, and it provides bait for the lobstermen and also provides revenue for the town. So that's really an important value there. But it's under it, the population is lower than it could be. So what we've discovered in this process of talking to partners about the rivers we'd want to work on and the type of work we would do, that there is a tremendous amount of interest, not just locally, but regional. And, and the work we're doing here is actually of national significance. Uh, river herring restoration in Maine is, has, you know, is of national significance, and, and there's a lot of interest. And Downey's Fisheries Partnership has been a great group of people where we've combined Penobscot East Resource Center, who's really focused on the marine issues, Downey Salmon Federation, Manomet, which is, you know, a, a New England-wide organization, all very interested in this work, and it's been it's very rewarding working with this group of partners and, and making some real progress. 
and you're facing some um, um, competing or conflicting interests. Um, some people are concerned about the, uh, the scenic values, and um, they may see a conflict with some of the economic values that may come to the community. Um, how, do you, how do you have those conversations? Um, I, I guess you start early and you talk often is the first, is the first, first part of it. But I think what is often challenging when people, and this has been going on statewide for, for quite a while, when we talk about fish passage and dams, there's a lot of emotional response to, to those changes. But we've, we need to start out with, with real information on the table. So we're focused right now on fundraising for and commissioning fish passage feasibility studies. Because until you know what the possibilities are, what the costs are, what all these scenarios look like, it's very hard to have a discussion that's not pretty polarized around this is going to happen and that's going to happen. Well, we need to have all that information on the table. So that's the focus right now, working with the community, working with select boards, really getting out into the community, getting feedback, and then sharing the process with the community as, as we move along. Well, it sounds like fun. It sounds like you're having fun. I am. I am. <laughs> and, and, and you're still getting to work with fish. I do. I still get to work with fish. That's great. Well, Jacob, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us here on Talk of the Towns. My pleasure. That was Jacob Mandy Sandy of Maine Coast Heritage Trust down in the um, East Machias area. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about how land trusts are working with the communities um, to, to express additional values besides ecological and scenic values. And in the studio with us are Chrissy Allen of Blue Hill Heritage Trust and Sherry Domina and Jennifer Riefler of Great Pond Mountain Conservation Trust. If you've got a comment or a question um, or some experience with your local land trust, uh, give us a call at 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378. Sherry, I understand that um, you've been thinking about dams as well, <laughs> as, as Jacob has. Um, tell us a little bit about that experience of, of, of helping the community think about um, um, dams and what their place is in, in rivers and ponds and conservation. Well, so um, as some people probably know, the um, town of Orland uh, voted this spring not to remove uh, their village dam at the head of Tide in Orland Village. Um, the land trust was involved in this just in so much as um, they supported some grant funding for a study um, for the dam and um, uh, also uh, just really kind of helped get the word out about what was happening with the dam, you know, through emails and website and whatnot. Um, the land trust chose not to take an official position on what to do about the dam. It was a pretty controversial issue in town, and there were pros and cons on, on either side. Um, I personally was on the dam committee for about five years and so really got pretty intimate with the issue. And, um, you know, it, they, they are very um, emotional issues for a lot of people, but um, I knew this, this particular dam really had the ability to impact, um, you know, the town in... Um, what I felt was a positive way. I think, uh, you know, the the ability to restore the Elwife run uh, is really there. And um, but there are questions about mercury hotspots. Um, we have a mercury hotspot in Orland, right downstream of the dam in the in the Orland River, the saltwater portion of the Orland River. Um, so uh, you know, we're hoping for some mitigation work there, um, and. In the future, I think, um, you know, this question will probably come up again. 
Well, it sounds like the conversations you had that led to your strategic plan and those that Maine Coast Heritage Trust had um, kind of revealed that there are multiple interests as we go forward, and we're going to have to have lots of conversation, conversations about <laughs> yes. these um, things um, to, to make sense, uh, make the policy. Chrissy? We at Blue Hill Heritage Trust have been having these conversations as well. Um, we worked with Minkos Heritage Trust and the Surrey Alewife Committee on a big restoration project in the Patton Stream, which this last May we got to see was a great success, which is really exciting to have the town and lots of community members, the school down there watching these alewives make this run on their own that historically they'd been netted up and over. Um, so that was a great community partnership with a lot of different groups involved, all, you know, pooling their resources for one common thing. And we're hoping to see, you know, perhaps some of those similar things happening in Penobscot as well, where we're currently in the beginning stages of working with a group of those community members. So there's a lot of this going on, and I think it's a real it's a real hot-button issue right now and one that many of us land trusts, especially the more coastal ones, are really paying attention to. Mm. And I think that the, the research hints at um, the, the connection between alewives and codfish. And so yeah. we're not just looking at the landward side, we're looking at really the whole ecosystem and what it does um, both for conservation, ecological values, but also for our economic values. Uh, we did co-host a, a little program this spring in May um, for World Fish Migration That's Day. Right. I always That's sort right. of say that yeah. backwards. <laughs> I think it's World Fish Migration Day. So we worked with Craigbrook National Fish Hatchery and... Um, and um, Island readers and writers? Were they involved no, in that? Um, I'm going to say, is it, I think Downey Salmon Federation that has this mobile smoker. Yes, the smokehouse. Yeah. Um, so they came and brought the mobile smokehouse and were smoking some alewives and some smelts. And we had an, hosted this open house at the Orland Village Dam so people mm. could come down and see not only the dam, but they were able to walk down to the, um, the weir and see the actual alewives being harvested. And I personally had never gone down there during the time while they were harvesting alewives and met the fishermen. So it was really a very interesting day, I think, all the way around, and it was pretty well attended. Um, and just a nice opportunity to see. It's really hidden in Orland, too. I mean, you don't see it driving through the village. You can't see these people fishing. But when you walk down there, you think, oh, my gosh, there's this huge thing going on down there. And uh, so it was just a, an interesting opportunity to see what this means to the town. It, it Orland has had the third largest alewife run in the state, and I'm not sure if that's still true, but it's been true for many, many years. And uh, you know, it's a, it is a big, uh, you know, economic, I think, uh, driver of that area. And and you've both um, both of your land trusts have talked about education in terms of of school age populations, but it sounds like there's an adult population education thing that's going on as well. How do you how do you reach out to adults that aren't already familiar with your land trust? Chrissy, what's your what's your take on that? Well, we offer a host of free programming year round. The bulk of it is in sort of the May through October season, but we try and have a little something all year round and. We try and do a little of everything. We do group hikes, we do workshops, we'll have some lectures, different things like that to try and draw out different members of the community to come. It's free, it's very non-threatening, it's very inviting, and just to see that a lot of the work that we're doing is for them and for their benefit. And we've, we've had great success in our membership rates, but also just in overall community support 
through this programming. Um, we do a lot of work with the schools, but then because these kids have maybe done an after-school club with us or gone out on a vernal pool hike with us, their parents feel, uh, you know, they trust us a little bit more, and so maybe they'll come out. Uh, we've also been collaborating with other community organizations to do community-wide events that maybe don't have a whole lot to do with land conservation, but we did a trail run with an egg hunt this spring with the YMCA and the hospital and the banks were all involved, and it was really well attended. A lot of people who don't come and talk to us very often showed up and were really appreciative, and that's a really good step in the right direction to having these communications and earning the trust of the local community and educating them about what we do. There's a lot of misunderstanding out there, I think, about what land trusts do, and it's really great to be able to have these people face-to-face to have those conversations. What's the biggest misconception? And I'll ask Sherry and Jennifer that same question. Well, I think a lot of people feel like land trusts are here to take people's land and then not and let anybody use it, uh-huh. when, in fact, that's pretty Probably much the, the opposite. opposite of what we're trying to do. We're trying to protect this land in perpetuity so we can always use it for generations to come, just like we've historically been able to do in this state. And so, you know, this year we've had a record number of hunters come to ask permission to hunt our lands. And a lot of these folks have been hunting our lands anyway, and we're hunting them long before they were ever conserved. But finally, something's getting through in the community where they feel safe coming and talking to us. And we're really glad to know them. I mean, these people really care about this land. They use it for a really good reason. And they let us know if anything untoward is going on out there. They share photos with us. It's a really, really nice connection. So I feel like that's a barrier that we're we're breaking down, which is really important. Great. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns, and we're talking about the role of land trusts. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Sherry um, or Jennifer, what are some of the misconceptions that you still find as you talk with people about the role of land trusts? I think uh, Chrissy kind of hit the nail on the head. I, you know, I, I think it's that um, people feel like that land trusts do lock up the land somehow but um you know as she said that's that's really not the case and we have really tried to partner with a lot of community groups um very successfully i think um you know we have a great partnership with the bucks mills rod and gun club um and the family snowmobile club and these people um really take good care of the property you know and they come out and the snowmobile club puts up signs and really encourages their members to um you know, stay on the trails and, and to enjoy the land responsibly. And, and the same with the Rod and Gun Club. Um, you know, they've, we've done some p- joint programs with them. Um, so um, one of your operating tenants that I think was a little bit different from your start was to um, allow or actually encourage hunting and fishing on your land trust lands. Yeah. Um, you know, there is a, a long tradition in the area of um, hunting and fishing on the on the land, so we wanted to continue that. Also, when you when you accept Land for Maine's future program funds, um, you're required to allow um, that on your property. So, um, you know, we we went ahead and, and formed this partnership, and they were the Rod and Gun Club was great about helping us to come up with a hunting policy that was reasonable, and and you know they'll we can go to their meetings and give out hunting permits and. Uh, they actually gave us a, a um, game cart so people can haul 
their deer out without feeling like they have to drive in. Um, you know, so it's it's really been supportive in, in a number of ways. So how does it work? Um, um, Chrissy, you t- uh, um, mentioned that people are more frequently asking permission. Do you give a permit, or how do you do that in your land trust? We do. We have a permit on our website, um, and we also have them just in the office. People can pop in, fill them out. We love meeting people face-to-face, and um, we ask just to see a copy of their hunting license. And then we sign off. They generally tell us where they like to hunt, and that way we can inform them. If there's a bunch of other people out on that property, then they can all just be aware of that. Or if there's maybe a good back entrance that's away from where the trail is, if it's a larger property, which is going to be better for them for hunting anyway, Mm -hmm. we can let them know that information. And we have a lot of properties open for these traditional uses. So it's, you know, we're glad that people are taking advantage of it and enjoying it. And Sherry, similar... um um, you ask people to get a permit um, to hunt on Great Pond Mountain Conservation Tract lands. Yeah, it's more like a, a registration. Okay. I mean, it's um, we don't deny anybody a right. permit. Right. We just like to know how many people are out there hunting, and it gives us an idea of you know how how to better manage the land and and users. And you know, so far we've we've not had any conflicts, but. You know, we hope people will tell us if there are issues. I shouldn't say we've not had any conflicts. <laughs> Occasionally, it's the uh, the dog walkers conflicting with the uh, the deer hunters, um, but that's more in a you know people who are people who are abusing the rules. Sure, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight or locally at four six nine zero five hundred. If you've got a question or a comment about the changing or evolving land uh, role of land trusts here on Talk of the Towns. Well, where would you like to take this conversation, Jennifer? Yeah, um, Ron, we have two events coming up in the next couple of months that bring in a whole different population of users. And one is our trail run on October 30th. And I'm always impressed at the number of people who come in to do that trail run who have not been in the Hopwell Valley before. Um, so that's fun. And um, we do that in conjunction with Frenchman Bay Conservancy. We have uh, a series of runs called the Downey's Double Trouble Trail Run Challenge. It's great fun. And you can find it on our websites. Mm. Um, and then we hold a Christmas tree event at the end of November, early December, and that brings in all kinds of families from a wide range of areas. Um, so it, it brings in different groups of people. So you're always looking for new partners um, to be able to use the land that you're taking care of. Yes. Great. Great. We do have a caller. Uh, Patricia from Trenton is, is giving us a call. So go ahead go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, hi, thank you. Um, I'm staying in an RV park here in Trenton, <laughs> and um, I was listening to your show, and I really liked the idea of trails in town because I was just driving, saying I don't want to drive all the way to Acadia National Park to go on a quick hike. So I was trying to find a local little path, and it was almost impossible. Well, so have, I love do, that do, idea. Do you know okay. about the the uh, trail um, right near where you are? Um, at yes, the, I've already uh, been on. Oh, that. okay. Yes, thank okay. you. <laughs> but you're just uh, you're but, you're coming on the general concept. Yeah, and, and it's just so beautiful. I thought, where can I turn off? And I found Brambleberry Lane. And then that was private, but I kind of scooted just to look at it anyway. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. And, and one more comment, and that is the word land trust. Mm. I'm in agreement that maybe adding a word might change the perception, because I do believe and agree that the perception is that it's somehow 
squandering that land for for someone where the general population cannot participate. And 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 uh, did you say say the words that you think should be added? I haven't had a chance to think oh. about it. Oh, but okay. <laughs> so there's a word that can be attached okay. or a new phrase going forward to let people know exactly what you're talking about. That's great. Thanks so much for your Thank call. You. And good luck in finding those wonderful little hiking <laughs> spots. Thank you. Great. Um, 1-866-625-9378. This notion of, of access to the land um, from the village is a really important one. And I think each of you are doing something in, in that realm. Uh, Sherry, you want to talk a little bit about that first and then go to Chrissy? Well, um, so we've been involved in the... Uh, Orland, uh, I'm going to get the name of it wrong, but sort of this uh, waterfront development or waterfront revitalization committee. Uh, we got a grant and we're working with the Hancock County Planning Commission. Um, the, the town is working with the Hancock County Planning Commission to um, look at, um, you know, the fact that Orland's a coastal town. So this is a coastal development grant um, and it's got this beautiful river running through it, the Naramistic River. Um, and you know, but but Orleans kind of hit the skids economically in terms of the downtown. Um, there's not you can't go to a restaurant or or stay in any lodging downtown anymore. The Orleans market's closed, and uh, so what can you do downtown? So I've been active with this committee, and uh, we've been looking at okay, um, how can how can we um, enhance maybe the recreation opportunities in town that would attract some new businesses um, to. Um, take advantage of them if you had some uh, lovely walking trails downtown, some sidewalks downtown, uh, if you had a better boat access with some signage where people could park nearby. And um, so providing the parking, um, providing the trails, providing the boat access, um, some of these are things that the land trust can help with and, and play a role in um, in that downtown revitalization. So I'm kind of excited about the potential mm. for that. Mm. And we'll come back to the question of the arts, because I think there's probably a connection between the community and the arts and land. But um, Chrissy, what, uh, what uh, things are you doing with uh, Blue Hill Heritage Trust around kind of connecting um, the village and the land? Yeah, we are um, we're currently working on a big project to revitalize a trail guide that we have had for the last couple of years, and we really want to blow it up, so to speak. We want to turn this thing into a regional trail guide. So initially, our guide included TCT, which was now a part of us, and Maine Coast Heritage Trust Trails on the Blue Hill Peninsula. But we decided that, you know, a lot of people, like our caller, are coming to this region. They maybe don't want to spend every day of their time here in Acadia, but they want to go on some more quiet hikes. And we want to let them know what's available. And sometimes it can be really hard to find that information. So we've invited Sherry and Great Pond um, to be included in our guide. We've also been talking with Island Heritage Trust. And we're looking at including some of these municipal trails, like in Bucksport, in Blue Hill, as well as hopefully Holbrook Island Sanctuary. So we really want to create this extensive regional trail guide that can be sold in a variety of locations in these towns, given out to some of the local schools, health organizations, so these families can access this information for free. But to really show that this area has a lot to offer for outdoor recreation, more than most people, even people living in our own communities, recognize. Mm. I think this is a really 
good way to show that conservation can provide a real economic boost to our communities and our local towns and businesses. Mm. So we hope that trail guide will help provide that. I'm familiar with a great guide in the Millinocket area um, that was that preceded the designation as a national monument up that way. But that notion that there's lots of hidden treasures um, that visitors and local people don't know about and to get that out. And um, living on Mount Desert Island, it's getting crowded down there. So I think there's <laughs> lots of opportunities for people to find other places along um, this the region of Maine to, to get out. Yeah. How about the arts? What's the connection with the arts? Um, Chrissy, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, we we at Blue Hill Heritage Trust are working on a really exciting um, program with Cynthia Winnings of Cynthia Winnings Gallery in Blue Hill. It's called the Open Air Arts Initiative, and it's, it's a way for kids, any school-aged kids, to go out on Blue Hill Heritage Trust land and be inspired to create anything. They can write a poem, they can build a, a fairy house or do some sort of art installation in nature, take a picture of it, they can do a painting, and they can submit this work. We're gonna have an art show in February at the Blue Hill Library, and this isn't about talent. Anybody's work is gonna be put on display and celebrated equally. It's about a connection to the land and our sense of place, and hopefully helping these kids you know, have that sense of ownership of where they live and want to continue to be here and support it here. Oh, that's great. And any uh, things to add, Jennifer or, or Sherry, in terms of um, you, you talked about downtown revitalization. Bucksport must be facing that because of the mill closure. Yeah, and there's a um, a new gallery that's opening this fall in Bucksport that everybody's really excited about, so the Lighthouse Gallery. Um, and the owner is really open to working with community groups and having classes and um, all kinds of wonderful things there. So we've talked to her already briefly about wanting to do a plein air um, event in the wildlands, you know, wanting to really do something uh, maybe even similar to what Chrissy was talking about. But, um, you know, we, we explored doing a plein air event this year and didn't quite get there. But um, it's definitely we've we've rallied a few artists now who are interested in seeing this happen. So um, and we've for a number of years, we've done a calendar. So, um, you know, we've had um, photographers uh, have been in touch with us and, and people like this calendar that we do like every other year or so. So um, I think I think there's a lot of potential to grow there, a lot of potential for, um, you know, some, some great community activities. Um, another group um, uh, that may or may not um, get what land trusts are all about are realtors. Um, it seems to me they're selling something. Um, they're selling a house or a house lot, but they're also selling the sense of community. Um, are realtors interested in, in the work that you're doing, or should they be if they're not? They should be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that for somebody who's moving here, especially from away, there's a pretty decent chance that they're moving from a really urban area and they're looking to escape that a little bit. So I think being able to promote that you're in an area with a thriving conservation organization and perhaps this property abuts conservation land would be a real perk to a potential home buyer. So mm. um, I actually had a realtor come in and buy a membership for somebody who recently bought a home here who was from away. And I thought that was a brilliant way to really connect that person with events that are happening in the community and just let them know what's going on here. I, I really appreciate it. That's great. Thanks, Pat. So my final wrap-up question is kind of what, what are your hopes for the community, each of you, um, and how Land Trust will continue to evolve? So a, a short response to that notion of what's the future like? How do you see that? Start with Sherry and work our way around the table. 
Well, I, I think my hope is that, um, especially as Bucksport and Orland are both going through comprehensive planning processes, I really hope that these towns um, will look at wild places as the glass half full instead of the glass half empty. Mm. Um, and that, you know, this gives us opportunities to partner with these towns and community groups to really um, think about, you know, kind of and kind of rethink in some cases how to use these beautiful wild assets, how to make sure that, um, you know, people understand they have these special places in town and how can they use them to improve their quality of life. And, um, you know, we really are looking forward to, to partnering with our towns um, on projects that, that do just that, that, you know, um, provide new and sustainable economic opportunities and improve people's quality of life. Mm, a very comprehensive answer. Thank you. Jennifer, um, what, are, what are your hopes? Well, I'm thinking a little more specifically. Um, on the wildlands, we practice forest management and are in the process, slowly but surely, of producing high-quality hardwood and softwood. Um, as are, no doubt, some of our neighbors. And so my hope, our hope, would be to develop the industries in the local communities that could use these high-quality wood products and turn them into high-quality products to sell and bring economic gain to our local communities that way. And that's really a great model that Down East Lakes Land Trust has been involved in, that notion of a community forest that's not just producing things that stay there, but things that are used. Great. Great. And how about you, Chrissy? What's your hope or dream for land trusts? Yeah, um, you know, other than breaking through that wall of misconception in our communities is getting people to start thinking in the long term. This is this is a Jim Dow speaking here. It's, you know, we can look at our community right now and say, but we don't have a problem. We have tons of forests. We have tons of this and that. But you know, as our as our caller shows, it it isn't the case, and it's getting harder and harder to find public land. And if we look at New England and even even southern and mid coast Maine, we can see how developed it's getting and how they're really struggling to protect these public open spaces. And so I like to think we're ahead of the curve on that up here, but there's still a lot of work to be done, and we really need to look out on that. Great. Well, thank you all for helping us with this wonderful conversation about the role of land trusts and, and the evolution of that role. Um, let's see. We've come to that time when I want to thank you for tuning in. Be sure and join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday of each morning, uh, Friday morning of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of this program and past programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you have comments or questions, please email us at news at WERU.org. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnane House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Sherry Domina and Jennifer Riefler of Great Pond Mountain Conservation Trust, Chrissy Allen from Blue Hill Heritage Trust, and join us by phone, Jacob Vandy Zandy of Maine Coast Heritage Trust. Thanks to those who listened and called in. Thanks to our underwriters at uh, and thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. Stay tuned for On the Wing and Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Support for WERU comes from